Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops podcast. We are back and it is that time of the year. NBA All-Star Weekend. Eric Newman in New York heading to Chicago Thursday. BJ Armstrong, you are already there on the ground. How are you, my friend, and how is it to be back in Chicago? Oh, man. Well, it's it's snowing outside Chicago, as I remember it. It's cold. It's snowing. It's gray. But what a beautiful city. What a beautiful city. It's uh, back home in the wonderful place that, uh, you know, where I spent most of my adult life right here in Chicago. But it's a little cold, so make sure you bring your coat, Eric. Can, can always tell when you've got that uh, Armstrong grin on your face. So I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you're in good spirits. I've got to, uh, I, I've got to pack accordingly. It's going to be a cold one on Friday, but I'm excited to get out there and, and hopefully catch some some time with you. So you know, obviously, there's some great memories from uh, All Star Weekend in Chicago. Um, you know, as far as uh, a host city goes and a city that more than appreciates the game with so many great players, memories, and personas to come out of Chicago. Uh, you know, what does it mean to be back there from, you know, the point of view of, of someone who obviously uh, played with the Chicago Bulls and uh, knows the fabric of that city when it comes to basketball? Well, you know, you know, as a kid from Detroit and now that'll always be home, you know, if there is a second home, and that was definitely Chicago. You know, I like I spent, you know, most of my, well, all of my adult life here in the city of Chicago until I recently moved out west uh, here for work. But I've been here. The city, uh, you know, embraced this young kid and came here and uh, met my wife here, my kids. Um, so I just have so many fond memories of the city of Chicago, the food, the culture. And, uh, you know, the monsters of the Midway and all of the things in the city of Chicago. So what a great sports town, great people here. And most importantly, it's a great city. It really is one of my favorite cities in the world. And I'm uh, really happy that I've had an opportunity to spend a lot of time here and, and really call this place home because I it, it was home for so many years for me. Now, let me ask you something. 1988, you are a junior at the University of Iowa and the NBA All-Star game is in Chicago and you had 
combined arguably the most memorable dunk contest and three-point contest at the old Chicago Stadium. You had the dunk-off between Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins, and you had Larry Legend capture his third straight three-point shootout, uh, most famously remembered for him putting the the finger up in the air <laughs> before the ball went in to, to capture it. So my question for you is, do you remember watching that in college? Were you that into it? And, and is that a real memory for you? Because for me, that's a huge part of my childhood. Well, well I, I watched it with a different lens. I, I remember as a, as a kid thinking that I could shoot a little bit when I was in, in Iowa. And I, you know, I, I became a, little a pretty bit, good a little bit. shooter, just a little bit. And then my bubble was burst when I saw Larry Larry Bird shoot. Like, I was like, okay, now that guy is shooting. What is he doing that that the rest of us aren't doing? So I remember watching that thinking, there's no way I could ever shoot like him. Then I watched Jordan and and Dominique and thinking, okay, you know, I was a fairly decent, I was an okay athlete, wasn't a great athlete, but those guys were like, they were from another planet. <laughs> they were jumping and doing things that at the time you just hadn't seen. You know, one guy jumping from the free throw line, the other guy windmill dunking. And I thought, okay, wow, I have no chance to play in that <laughs> league because of how exceptional these players are and were at the time. But uh, I remember just thinking, wow, that, that, that's, that's where the best of the best of the best is at. And, um, those were, you know, I, I, I was the first time I was watching it, not from a fan perspective, but I was watching this thinking and really wondering, I was nervous. Like, how could I, how could I compete against those type of players and those type of athletes? BJ, one thing I try to share with people, I mean, we all know what a great finisher and dunker Michael Jordan was, whether it's in a dunk contest in games, people have seen the Dominique Wilkins dunk contest highlights. Can you share some of the things you saw Dominique Wilkins do to opponents in games, because I consider him the most underrated in-game dunker of all time. Like he, like the physicality in which he would attack the rim in those contests was one thing, but how he would be angry at the rim and dunk through body after body in game is, is something when you go back to the highlights, it's, it's truly remarkable. Do you remember seeing Neek in games um, or being on the floor where he would destroy yeah. people? Well, one of the things, you know, I, I, I've had the pleasure of knowing Dominique ever since really I came in the league and, you know, him and Michael were, were good friends from, from North Carolina back then. And, and they were great competitors on an individual, you know, a game within the game. And I had the, I had the luxury and the pleasure of playing with Dominique for one year in uh, Orlando. and something always stood out with me with Dominique was one, he was a fearless competitor. He was, he was truly fearless and he wasn't afraid to miss a shot. He wasn't afraid to take the last shot. He wasn't afraid to compete. He wasn't afraid to get dunked on and you knew he was going to show up. That was the first thing. But whenever you played against Dominique, his very first shot, if you ever watch him play or had the chance to watch him play, his very first shot was always going to be a three. <laughs> he was always his very first shot of every game was always going to be a three. If he made the first, if he made the first shot, the three, he said that was the indicator whether he was going to be 
hot or if he needed to have heat checks. <laughs> but either way, he was going to shoot a lot. And every game we would play him, you knew his very first time he touched the ball, he was going to shoot a three. And I always respected that about him because he always gave himself a chance. And I really learned that from watching guys like Dominique because Dominique was going to give himself a chance every night to have a great game. And he played fearlessly. He was a competitor. Um, and you knew he was going to show up at the game. And he took on the challenge every night of all of those guys. I mean, he had some of the greatest games, you know, against Larry Bird. Those were some of the greatest games. Yep. Uh, those as Hawks, far as two those individual Hawks, Celtics, Those Hawks-Celtics Hawks. games in the mid to late 80s were, were And, you know, he would have, you know, Jordan would have 50 and Dominique would have 48. or, But you knew he was going to take on the challenge. And, and you know, just having an opportunity to spend a year with him of saying how he took on all of those other great forwards, whether it was James Worthy and Kiki Vandeweghe and Clyde Drexler and, and Alex English and all of the great players in that era. He saw them all. And when it was all said and done, he stood right there with them. And uh, he was a great competitor. And more importantly, he's a great friend. And I, I, I love speaking with him. And, uh, and one of my favorite things is to ask him how many points would he average today without hand checking. And he, and he certainly hasn't lost his competitive fire. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that wide open, with that wide open lane today and the way he got up, I, I, I can't imagine what he'd be doing. I mean, I, I think people forget he was a very good uh, perimeter player as well and would draw the oh. defense out and then just take it to the, take it to the rack like no other. So, um, you know, a, a lot to celebrate, BJ. All-Star memories, um, the game in Chicago, 2020. You know, let's let's talk about the the game itself this year with these, you know, these new format um, additions. We've got separate winners for each quarter with prize money going to charity. After three quarters, a target score will be set and an untimed fourth quarter will, will be played to get to that target. Um, things to you know spice it up and make it a little bit more interesting. What was your reaction to 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 uh, to these additions? Like it, don't like it, or, or don't really care? Well, I really don't care. I, I really don't care. <laughs> I would have I would have bet on that ahead of time. Yeah, I, I really don't care because in the end, you know, when you came to the All Star Game, there 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 was you came to the game with with a couple with a couple of ideas, right? You would come to the game to represent the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference, right? And you wanted to have that, you know, I don't know if it was an unofficial or official bragging right that, you know, that conference was the better conference. But more importantly, you came there with the idea if you were a championship caliber team, you wanted to set the tone to let everyone else know who was the best player in the All-Star game. And Every year when I watched Jordan and Pippen and those guys go to the All-Star game, I would, you know, I would ask them, you know, like, especially Michael, I was like, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, because he would always encourage me to find something to play for every single game. He's like, every game I have to find a reason to be the best player, the best person and the best player that I can be. 
I was like, every game. He's like, yes, every game I got to find something. And I was like, well, what are you finding in the All-Star game? And he told me this, like, after my first year, that it was his job to find a way to let everybody know he was the best player in the league. And if they saw him in the playoffs, there was no doubt who the best player on that team was so that mentally everyone would bow down to him in the last four minutes of the game. Hmm. And he came to the All-Star game to make sure that he let the other 23 players in the event know that he was the best player. And when he went to the Olympics in 92, I remember him and I, we were having breakfast or something, and I was just asking him about, you know, what is, you know, are you looking forward to 92? Because that was his second Olympics. And he said, I'm most excited because I'm going to go let all of those other players know in an extended amount of time that I am the best player. And when I come back from this in 93, there shouldn't be anything we have to worry about in winning the championship because I'm going to let those other guys know that I'm clearly, hands down, the best player in the NBA. The fact that so, he was the fact that he was preparing the mental domination for the playoffs absolutely an exhibition so, game well, in February is unbelievable. Yeah, so when he went to the All Star game, he was already laying the the foundation for what he was going to do. Whoever he was going to see or saw in June, that to me is the genius of really him and how serious he took his profession. But more importantly, how he shared with me the idea, and I got a chance to see the mindset of, yeah, some people will just be excited to come here in Chicago and have fun and do those things. He was coming here with a purpose to say, you know what, I'm coming here to win the whole entire, I'm coming here to win the championship. And I know I'm not going to start competing in June when I see you. I'm going to start laying the foundation right now so that when you see me, you will remember that I was the best player then, I'm the best player now, and you have no chance. And I don't know if that somehow got lost in translation with today's players, but I don't see the same, you know, you know I, I, I don't know if it's, what do we want to call it? I don't see the same gamemanship in today's game. Yeah. That now, that now it just it just it just feels like everybody's getting together to have a good time, yeah, which so, is great. So and we know how the league it, has it, changed, it, but it, yeah. it has changed. But what hasn't changed is the competitive spirit of what we know everyone's is playing for in June. And to me, I got to find excuses for me to play hard during the All Star game because I got to make some rules. So I don't really have any. I really not thinking about it because. I remember when I made the all-star team, I I held that in mind. I wanted those guys to know that I was a competitor. I didn't want to give an inch. I, I didn't I wanted to make sure that, yeah, we, we can there I was gonna be respectful, but I didn't want to be like friendly. <laughs> I, I wasn't like because I knew I was gonna see the other players at some point in the playoffs or somewhere, and I wanted to make sure that I kept kept or maintained my competitive edge that I had. So there, I had every incentive to play hard. I had every incentive to want to win. I had every incentive to want to represent my conference. You know, back then I was in the Eastern Conference to make sure that, you know what, I'm carrying the competitive spirit and the reason why you play this game. So it was just a different time, and I don't know if that's lost now, but it made sense to me then, and it certainly made sense to me now. And now, and thinking about it, like, you know, guys like him and Larry Bird, those guys carry 
with them in the All-Star game, a competitive spirit that was unmatched. And that was how the games were played then. You know, perfect transition to your All-Star appearance back in 1994. So in 88, you're in awe watching uh, the All-Star game. Jordan wins MVP in Chicago. He wins the dunk contest against Neek. Bird wins a three-point shootout. And six years later, you are an NBA All-Star. You know, what was – what was it like? You started uh, alongside Pippen, Shaq, yeah. Coleman, Kenny Anderson. What what really stands out to you about that experience? What, what I remember most about that was myself, Horace Grant, and Scottie Pippen made the All-Star team. And I remember we felt that Scottie Pippen was the best player, and we wanted to make sure that Scottie was the best player in the game. And he ended up winning the MVP of the game because we wanted to make let everyone know that, hey, if you see us, yeah, we, yeah, we lost Michael Jordan, okay? Make no doubt about it, okay? We lost Jordan. But we wanted to let everyone know that we're still here and we're still going to compete. And we wanted to make sure in that setting that everyone knew we still had the best player, especially in the Eastern Conference. Now, that year, Akeem Olajuwon was incredible, I remember. But we wanted to make sure that we wanted to let everyone know that Scottie Pippen is here. That was our idea. Yep. And then yep. you did it very effectively. And we did it. Yep. It, it, was, it, it was, we had, we had, look, we had took this idea. We saw Michael, then Scottie, and th- those guys were, we wanted to make sure that everyone knew that we were going to be here. Right. Okay. You don't lose Jordan and just win a championship. Right. But, yeah, we lost Jordan, but we were going to compete, and you were going to have to beat us. We still, I think we lost that year to the Knicks, if I believe, in like in Game Seven, right? Yep. And and that to me was a great accomplishment. You don't just lose the greatest player ever and then c- continue to win a championship. If we did win a championship, then something's wrong with the league. <laughs> okay, you don't just lose a guy like that. But we felt we still had a great team. And we had a great player. And we came there with an idea in mind. And, and Scotty had an amazing year. And we all played our role. And, and we felt we had a good team, you know. And, uh, look, we were right there at the end. And with a, a break here or there, maybe we win that series. Uh, but, again, that's what was our idea. And that's what I remember most is that we came there with a purpose. We fulfilled it. I think we won the game. I think we won that game, if I remember correctly. But I remember Scotty was the MVP, and that was a big accomplishment for us and obviously for him because he went out there and did it, and he had the talent to play in games like that and, 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 and be the best of the best in that moment. 1994 NBA All-Star Game, Eastern Conference 127, Western Conference 118. Scotty Pippen, 29 points, 11 rebounds, four steals in 31 minutes. B.J. Armstrong, 11 points, four assists in a very efficient 22 minutes. And uh, some of the other names on this roster, Mookie Blaylock, Charles Oakley, as you said, your teammate Horace Grant, Dominique Wilkins, John Starks, Mark Price, and the one and only Patrick Ewing making up the East. And uh, the West BJ, Elijah Wan, Mitch Richmond, Sean Kemp, Carl Malone, and Drexler in the starting lineup with oh, wow. a ridiculous bench of John Stockton, David Robinson, Cliff Robinson, 
Danny Manning, Gary Payton, Latrell Sprewell, and Kevin Johnson. This was uh, right. quite a game, yeah, was, considering there was no Michael Jordan in it. This was this was quite a game, uh, yes. for sure, yes. for sure. So, uh, last All Star thing before we get back to uh, some of the activity um, in the NBA this week. Any uh, any pick for All Star Game MVP this year? Any talent out there that you think wants to go out there and take over the Chicago stage and, and make a statement? You know, I, I'm just going to stick with the, the, the competitive spirit that I recognize and come to appreciate. I think Giannis, I think Giannis wins it. I think he, I think he brings it. I think he comes with this spirit. And, you know, it, 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 it's, it's kind of funny watching him play this year. It's because when you watch him play, he appears to be playing with a purpose and, a, and at a different pace than everyone else. And he was the MVP last year. I don't think anyone's doubting how great of a player he is and he will continue to be, but he continues to play with this certain edge that you don't see a lot of players play with. And it's almost like he has something to prove, right? And, Oh, that you loss, know, that watched, loss like, is burning inside him from last year. Going yeah, two zero on Toronto, then then Toronto, you know, wins four straight and wins the title. That that's got to be the first thing he thinks and, about every morning, and the last thing he thinks about before he goes and, to bed. And there's something that I respect about that with him is facing your failures and confronting yourself. And I and I and I have the utmost respect for him because he's attacking this. Every single day. Every time I watch him play, the one thing that stands out for him, I, I, he never takes a playoff. I mean, he just brings it every single night. And I think he's going to come here with the idea at All-Star Weekend to lay the foundation that he is the best player in the NBA. And he wants to be the best player in the NBA. And I see him playing. I, I don't. I can't see him trying to be entertaining or hanging out. He's going to come here with the idea, I'm going to compete, I'm going to win, I'm going to score 40 points, and I'll just do whatever. You may come here to have a good time, but I think he he's coming there with an idea that I want to be the best player, and he's here to let everyone else know that he's the best player. And, and I, there's something about it that I truly respect about him. I think he'll be attacking the rim in the paint like a 1988 Dominique Wilkins. That's for sure. So, um, I think Giannis is a, is a great bet. Uh, Russell Westbrook always comes out with something to prove. Yes. Uh, yep. As he did Tuesday night against the Celtics, which was a, a very hard-fought game in Houston that the Rockets won. We won't talk about the free-throw discrepancy right now, but the Celtics have been playing very good basketball, a team that has not been playing great basketball but had a huge win on Tuesday night was the Philadelphia 76ers uh, big win at home against the Clippers. Uh, they're nine and 19 on the road sitting at fifth in the East. This team is night and day uh, in terms of home and away. Uh, obviously Joel Embiid has been having a lot of back and forth with the fans being booed uh, both in the arena, being booed on social media. And uh, he dropped the dark night quote on Instagram. You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Um, you know, 
Jimmy Butler followed that up by uh, chiming in with, I know a place where villains are welcome. Uh, mm. Is Embiid just having some of his uh, playful fun, as he always does with fans and social media? Or is he um, subtly trying to say something to the Philadelphia faithful who obviously expected a whole lot more from this team in terms of consistency and performance this season? Well, I think we, I think you, you hit it right on the head, Eric. I think the expectations now is that the Philadelphia fans are looking for a championship. And they want a championship now, right? I think the patience of going through what they've gone through there in Philadelphia with the process, going through, you know, the the way that season ended last year, and now they had serious expectations with this year, especially what they were able to do in free agency. And I don't say it's right or wrong, but the expectations are there. And when you don't meet the expectations, this is what happens. Now, Fair or unfair, no one, myself included, when you look at Joel Embiid, is saying that with a talent like like him and what he has and what he has shown, that the expectations of saying you can win a championship with him, I, I don't think anyone was going to argue that. What you're what you are talking about is now you. Again, you're bringing in a new component or a new piece into the fold with Al Horford, and then you're asking him to do this in year one. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying the fans aren't correct in their assessment. But you just don't start bringing in players in one year and start winning a championship. I think that's not how this works. No, normally it's not. And I think they underestimated the – structural change that this team went through by losing Reddick, losing Butler, losing some of those bench pieces, bringing in Richardson, bringing in Horford, and expecting this team to gel right away when, you know, let's be honest, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are very talented. They're very young. Yes, they've advanced past the first round of the playoffs for two consecutive seasons, but this takes time. This takes maturation. And if the talent doesn't fit together well on the court, then they either have to figure out a change or the bar needs to be set a little bit more realistically realistically right now because this roster construction, as we've talked about many times, is is not the greatest. Well, uh, well, look, when you're talking about going deep in the playoffs, you have to have depth. They don't have a lot of depth. Let's just be honest. Uh, if they have a great starting five, they have exceptional talent in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. They have nice players. You start looking at Tobias Harris, Al Horford. They have some really nice pieces. Okay, but we're now we're talking about playing at a championship caliber level, night in and night out. And let's take the positives. The positives are the following. One, they have size. They are a big team. Two, they have found a way to win at home. Now, that's very, very important. So we know in a seven-game series that they can defend home court. They have done an exceptional job of playing at home. The problem with them is once they get out of Philadelphia, we don't know what's going to happen. And that blame 
has been placed on the shoulders of Joel Envy. But we know that it's going to take depth. We know it's going to take chemistry. And we know this team hasn't played. They played less than a year together. So in constructing a team, the first thing that you can, the first thing you try to establish when you are going through the process from becoming a good team to a great team is first we have to defend home court. Check for the Sixers. Check. Second, then you start figuring out how we have to play on the road in order to win games. So clearly there's something going on right now. And you and I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Point guard play. Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is a excellent, excellent talent. He's big, he's six nine, six ten, he's athletic, he's strong, he can finish at the rim with either hand. But it's very hard to play point guard in this league the way the game is played, because the game now is about, especially during the regular season, pace and space. He doesn't have the ability to consistently shoot from the perimeter. That's very hard to do if your lead guard doesn't shoot threes. And then you're asking your center to be a center and not be a stretch center. So now in this league where you have pace and space and three-point shooting and all of these things, it becomes a mathematical equation where the other three guys have to compensate for the other two guys who won't be shooting threes at all during a game where we know teams are trying to shoot as many threes as they possibly can and play the percentages of saying, if I can shoot 33%, that gives me a significant chance to win the game if you shoot no threes. So now that puts pressure on those two guys to shoot 70% just to balance the game. Well, who shoots 70% consistently or if at all during the course of a game? That's almost impossible. So. In saying that, they have a good team, they have great pieces, but now they have to construct. They have to construct a team where there's depth and they have to figure out there's a difference, yes, of playing at home, and then there's a difference of playing on the road. When we play it on the road in a championship caliber setting, you have to limit your turnovers, you have to learn how to control time and score, you have to learn how to take better shots, you know, you have to know the difference between a good shot and a great shot. You have to be able to execute, establish, take the crowd out of the game. And that takes time. This team right here is trying to figure out where are they going to put them. I mean, I watched them play last night, and Al Horford is coming off the bench. Well, that took 55 games or 50 games to figure that out. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but what what I'm saying here is, Al Horford is an all-star caliber player, and that team yet has to figure out their balance between who's playing with who, combinations, so forth and so on, and that falls on all of the players and yep. the coaching staff. It's not just one person here. So, again, they're figuring it out. I think it takes time, and once they – hopefully they'll – this out before the playoffs because once the playoffs begin, I can assure you that they will have their best five players on the floor at all times, and if not, they will go home early. And certainly, this team should not be a first round exit from the NBA playoffs this year. Certainly, they shouldn't be. Yeah, and if they don't figure out how to win on the road and they're, they don't finish in the top four, uh, they're going to have a lot of trouble on the road 
in the playoffs where teams are scouting just for them each and every night because it, it's it's pretty obvious what personnel groupings are and aren't working well for them. And the numbers with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on the floor with Al Horford versus without are uh, staggeringly different. So we'll keep an eye on that coming out of the All-Star break. Uh, a team right now, and if the playoffs started today, the Heat would be the four seed. Uh, the Sixers would be the five seed with Miami having home court. And uh, we both know how hard this Miami Heat team plays and uh, how well they defend home court as well. So that would be a heck of a series with, uh, I think, the Heat, uh, you know, ha- having a, a real advantage with that home court to advance. But we've got a ways to go before that. Now, the Sixers had a ton of expectations before the season. And ironically, the defending champion Toronto Raptors, who lost Kawhi Leonard to the Clippers, did not. They've now won 15 straight games heading into Wednesday night's game. We're recording on Wednesday at Brooklyn. And the Celtics had a seven-game win streak. They've won 10 of 12. That was snapped Tuesday night uh, in Houston against the Rockets. These are uh, the t- two of the hottest teams at the break. But uh, looking down the line, BJ, Philadelphia, Miami, we mentioned them, Boston, Toronto, who matches up the best with Milwaukee in a best of seven right now in your eyes with how these teams are playing? Milwaukee's a tough matchup. They, they, they are tough. And, you know, I, I always – when I say – a guy is a superstar player, my criteria may be a little different than most. A superstar player, from my point of view, is a player who never takes a night off. And what I mean by that night off is that player is going to find a way to impact the game, even when they're, even when they're not playing well on the offensive end, because that's, that's one of the ways or probably the most significant way that you can make an impact on the game. If you're shooting well, you're playing well, you score a lot of points. This guy, Giannis, is a superstar. He's a superstar of superstars because he doesn't have to play well. I, now, at first there were two players who, who impacted the way he played, and one of those players was Joel Embiid. And I was very interested to see how he was going to respond the next time they saw the Philadelphia 76ers, because a great player, a superstar player, never has two bad games in a row. Never. That's great why point. you're a superstar. Yep. Now, he had, you know, again, I just watched the games to find out who the players say are going to, who is the best player. Giannis had a very bad game on Christmas at Philadelphia. He was awful. I mean, you know, Joel Embiid did a, a terrific job, played him well didn't allow him to do what he normally does to affect the game, and he kind of got out of rhythm. Now, the next time they played Philadelphia, Giannis was terrific against Joel Embiid. He was unbelievable. He was incredible. Yep. So I said, okay, I can take Joel Embiid off the list of guys who affect him because he's figured it out. And in saying that, the only team that I feel that will – be able to to alter him a little bit is the Toronto Raptors. 
just because they have the size, right, they can throw enough people at him that I feel that will alter him just a little bit. I don't know how much because Kawhi Leonard, to me, was the deciding – he was the X factor, if you will. But I don't feel that the, the other teams have enough bodies. Andre Iguodala is not big enough. Crowder and these guys aren't big enough. They're not tall enough. Um, you know, I, I don't he, – he's not affected by those other players. You know, Jason Tatum and those guys, they're, they're just not tall enough, right? But Siakam, Serge Ibaka, they can maybe alter him a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. They, they've, maybe def- they've, definitely <laughs> got, they've definitely got the length. I mean, the Celtics have uh, different wing bodies that can uh, make it difficult. They can throw bodies at him. Right, make it difficult for him to get places on the dribble, but between posting up and powering his way, they're going to have to double him. They're going to have to double him all day long. Where, you know, Serge Ibaka, you won't be able to stop him, but you don't have to double. Siakam, you don't have to double. You can, look, he can contest his shot, right? At least on paper, you know, you got seven feet versus six nine or whatever. I just think they can at least match up with them. Uh, and those two guys, as I watch Toronto, I'm always amazed at the difference. When I watch the NBA game, I always try to look for the guard play from the starter to the backup. This is a team where for 48 minutes, they get exceptional guard play. They get exceptional guard play for a full 48 minutes between Van Fleet and, and Kyle Lowry. They really had. They really are a unique combination because they can play individually, and then they can play together. And they are probably more effective together because they can always go away from pressure because they're interchangeable as far as initiating the offense. So I think when you play these guys, their role players are probably better than your role players. And the only advantage you ha- that Milwaukee has is they have an exceptional player that will counterbalance anything else that's going on on the floor because Giannis is really that good but when you look at Toronto I think Toronto is just a team Siakam has made a step you know he's filled in that void in the regular season now can he do it in the postseason that's I I don't know but certainly he looks like he's up for the challenge and um, I think they are the team on paper, or as I was watching the game thus far, that looks like they can challenge the Milwaukee Bucks at this moment. Well, we're going to have a few uh, a few more playoff previews between them. Uh, their next game against each other will be February 25th, their second meeting of the season. They've only played once. So in the first game, the Bucks won at home, 115 to 105. Giannis had a you know, 36-15-8 game against Toronto, <laughs> which is like That's normal for him right had. now. That's all he had. Probably, what, 31 minutes or 32 minutes or something? <laughs> yeah, I'll get the minutes in a second. But uh, then they play each other April 1 and April 3rd, which is interesting for teams of that caliber to be playing against each other because if home court is locked up for the Bucks, um, will we see – Giannis and their main guys in as many minutes, but the big question is, will the Bucks be chasing 70 wins at the beginning of April? Time will tell, but you, you make great points about Toronto. Uh, Giannis played 36 minutes in that game, so 36 points, 15 rebounds, 8 assists in 36 minutes. Unbelievable. Um, but Toronto 
is um, just having a, a really impressive season. And, and Van Fleet is the guy that's really raised his game along with Siakam taking the next step. So, uh, you know, a Celtics Raptors second round to get to the Bucks uh, could be potentially a uh, a seven game classic, and of course that Toronto Philadelphia series last year that went seven that was decided on uh, Kawhi shot was was also an unbelievable series. So I think we're going to have some potentially great matchups ahead of us uh, this spring in the Eastern Conference featuring some of these teams. Now one more Eastern Conference uh, thing to discuss. Uh, you know, we've, talk, we've talked a, a lot about different players coming back from major injuries. Last week we talked about uh, Clay Thompson and, and the time that he's going to need. So, you know, Victor Oladipo is back. Some people were expecting him to come back and, and be in Victor Oladipo form. But as expected, he's been a little slow out of the gate. The team has struggled a little bit uh, trying to find a new rhythm with him. He's shooting under 30% from the field, 23% from three. All that said, we've got a third of the season to go. Um, how do they get him ready to make an impact of, in the playoffs? Because as we know, this Pacers team plays really hard. They've got a tough DNA starting with their coach, Nate McMillan. They've got capable players. How do they get this chemistry and sauce right to make a, a, a positive run down the stretch? headed into the 2020 NBA playoffs? Well, you, you know, I, I think the big thing, Eric, is to have patience with these players when they come back from these significant injuries, right? And, look, Victor is a – I mean, he was having a, an, an amazing season. I think he was an all-star, right, prior to this injury, right? He had made the all-star – his first all-star game or something? Yes. And, um, you know, he – look, he's been around this league, right? He's – moved from, you know, from Orlando down there to OKC. And then when he got to Indiana, he really kind of settled in and he was becoming the player that we all thought he could be in due time. And then he sustains an injury. When you have an injury like that and you're not able to go to training camp, rehab and all of those things are just rehab. There's no way to get adjusted back to the, the pace and the athleticism and the things that you see. Uh, every day in the NBA and look I'm no doctor and I'm I'm just sitting on the sideline but when you have a player especially a guard you know the, the big thing is is to be able to bring those guards back and and not throw them right in the fire with Victor the one thing that I would have liked to have seen just because of knowing and being an ex-player myself is you want to play against the backups before you start getting thrown right into the fire with the starters, especially if you miss training camp. There just isn't enough time to get your reps and get your, and get the rhythm that's necessary to play. And what you're seeing with Victor is, look, I don't care what he does. He's not going to be in the same shape that those starter players are going to be in because those guys have been playing 30 plus minutes for a substantial amount of time and have more reps than he has. But I think because of the type of athlete he is, he would fare better right now as he's finding what his body can and can't do at this point. He would fare better against backup players than starters right now. Not to say by the end of the season, he wouldn't be back to that Victor Oladipo because that's a different injury that he sustained. But I think he would be better served 
to integrate his talent playing against the backups than with the starters. Just from the standpoint of physically where he's at, because just there isn't enough time. You can't practice. Like you can't practice during the season. You're trying to, you know, plug in and play and injuries happen and things happen and combinations happen. So I think it because he missed all of training camp because of where the season is at, it would probably be best served if he's making a comeback during the regular season is to do it as the backup. So that way you can kind of play against a different level of athlete, right? You don't – the same level of athlete as in coming off your bench that's playing, you know, starter minutes. And to me, that's where, you know, he can kind of find his rhythm, if you will. And then when he finds his rhythm, whenever that comes, because he definitely is a starter, uh, starter caliber athlete, and player, then you integrate him in when that happens. But, um, you know, I don't know. I'm not there. But I, I just know it's very difficult when you come off of injuries where you miss a significant amount of time and you need training camp. You need that. You need a summer where you're not rehabbing. So no matter what you do, there's no way to overcome the work and the, the hours and the repetitions that's needed to be get back to your Self before or prior to the injury, and I think that's what he needs right now. And it's and it's it's to be expected, right? What do we expect for someone to miss the time that he missed and then uh, come back and think he's going to be the same player? That's just not fair to him. It's not fair to you know for anyone to think that. And uh, I think you know he's playing. He's a competitor. He'll figure it out. But right now, I think he would probably uh, would find his rhythm a little quicker if he was playing against the backups other than the starters right now. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind here is Malcolm Brogdon, T.J. McConnell, Jeremy Lamb, and T.J. Warren all weren't on the team last year. So they're right. all learning how to be teammates the first time. Sabonis' game has evolved. They're still figuring out the Sabonis-Turner combo. So we know the pieces are there in Indiana, but it's how those pieces kind of reacclimate to each other with Oladipo back. And Brogdon's been in and out of the lineup, so he came out of the – the gates to start the season on fire, but he's had some consistency issues uh, recently as well, more do so being in and out of of the lineup due to injury and, of course, trying to get his chemistry right with Oladipo. But great point there on Oladipo uh, in terms of what it would be for him to be coming off the bench against uh, other teams' uh, second-unit players. So, BJ, tremendous job today. I, I can't wait to get out there tomorrow. Hopefully I'll see you uh friday or saturday in chicago but appreciate you uh taking the time to hop on today uh any potential pure hoops podcast future guests while you're out there get them lined up i'll hit you when i'm on the ground tomorrow in chicago but uh thanks buddy for making the time i'll see you my friend out in chicago be safe eric and uh get out here dinner's on you (laughs) absolutely as always special thanks to Producer Mike Lieber, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Benjamin Wolfen, and the entire Pure Hoops media team. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show each and every Monday. Next Monday coming out of All-Star, catch part two of Mike's interview with NBA coaching legend Larry Brown. You don't want to miss that. Our new college basketball show, Full Court Press, with Fanta and Adams featuring John Fanta and Kim Adams, who cover college basketball on multiple networks. We're very excited about that addition to our platform. 
Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin coming at you on Wednesdays. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt on Thursdays. And, of course, the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself coming at you on Fridays. We will have a lot to talk about in the world of the NBA and from All-Star. Enjoy NBA All-Star Weekend. Please subscribe and share. And as always, stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.